Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, focusing on verse 8. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that we have this opportunity. We praise you that we are your children, brought into your presence through the precious life of your beloved Son. In him here we are gathered, and in him we look to you for our life for our strength, for our renewal, for our instruction and correction and training in righteousness, that you would truly make us like him. This morning, O oh Lord, would you fill our hearts with love? Will we help us to know your love? Help us to know what it means to love. That we would love like you. We truly would make love the central thing. For we ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of this series on the one another commands. So, this is it. This is the last little hurrah for this whole section and series. And I want to bring it together this morning with an earnest plea to all of you. A plea from the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want this to be the heart cry and this to be the summation of it all, bringing it together that you truly would, you would see and know and understand what is above all things. As Peter says in verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know, this is really the only appropriate way to wrap up this series because it takes all the particulars that we've been talking about, like controlling the tongue, hospitality, admonishing one another, singing to one another, encouraging one another, building up one another, etc., etc. And it takes them all and it summarizes them with this one word, love. Love. Love, as Peter says, is above all. This is why we always need to remember that love is our goal. Love is your goal. Love is the goal of our fellowship. Peter said, above all, love one another. And he didn't just say love one another. He said love one another earnestly. Earnestly. So he tells us how it is we're to love one another. But, he, but most importantly, he says he starts with these words, above all. And we've looked at this passage a little bit a while back, particular for, uh, particularly for that concept of showing hospitality and how it flows out of this. But I want us to back up and focus on this first section. And so when he says above all, he's saying that it's above all other things. It trumps everything. It's the Mount Everest of all virtues and qualities we possess. And because I've shown several times in sermons past that love truly is the central point of what we're to do, I'm not going to take the time this morning to go through the rest of Scripture and show how, you know what, love is the summation of it all. Clearly, Jesus has pointed out throughout the Gospels especially, he continually talked about loving one another. He continually mentioned how love brought together the whole law and the, God, the, whole law and the prophets. Sorry. It says this, this is like basically the foundational rock upon which it all stands. I think 
I'm, I'm pretty confident those of you who come here regularly know this as a fact. And so know that the Lord has called us truly to love. This is what we're called to. And that love has many expressions. It, it fleshes out in all kinds of details of life. It gets into the minutia of things. It's the great broad principle. It's the goal. It's to love. But that, having said that, it comes down right into the things that you say, the things that you think, the things that you do. It comes right down to the changing of diapers and the washing of dishes and the treating of coworkers and submission to those who are in authority over you. All those details. But love is the goal, the supreme goal. But we also have to know something. If this is our goal, we have to know something about the quality of this goal, the quality of this love. What is this love really like? To understand love is fundamental and important. And today especially, isn't it easy? It's easy to actually confuse and misunderstand really what love is because love is talked about all over the place. Love this. Oh, man, I love that pasta you made. I love that song. Oh, man, do I ever love the Seahawks. Do we ever, that's how we talk. We use love all the time. So love gets misconstrued, and it's kind of applied in areas and in ways we probably ought not to because we just talk about it so much. But here Peter tells us the goal is love, above all love. And then he says something interesting. He says, love one another how? Earnestly. Vigorously. He could have said, with all your might with everything in you. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to have a burning passion in our bosom for everybody. It's like, okay, well, Peter says love earnestly, and you go, man, I, I guess that must mean that I'm supposed to, in my heart, just have like this burning earnestness. And then I, I, for, I look around, and I was like, oh, I love you. I love you. I just, can we have a group hug, like now? You know, this is, this is not the case, because if it were the case, it would mean that only on Christmas and special holidays after a few drinks do we actually have love. <laughs> that, that's not what he means by loving one another earnestly, and that being the goal. What this love means is that above all, you're very committed, and here, understand this word, you're committed to one another. You're committed to your brothers and to your sisters. You're committed, you're all in. We get that. We can get commitment. We understand commitment. It's hard if, if what love is is something in the heart. It's just all about feelings. Then all of a sudden, we, we struggle. Like, man, I'm not sure I love these people. Well, why not? It's like, I, I don't know. I don't feel anything toward them. Well, that doesn't mean anything. That's not what love is. We can't be confused about that. But at the same time, we have to understand that clearly love is not indifferent. It's not hateful. It's not apathetic. It's just like, I could care less about these people. So there's a sense in which, yeah, true, I'm not saying it's a burning in your bosom, but on the other hand, it can't be. I'm also not saying, well, that doesn't mean if you have hate in your heart or discontent in your heart or in your heart is filled all kinds of bitter feelings or in your heart is a sense of, ugh, I don't really like, ugh, get them away. Um, and, yeah, sometimes the heart can feel those things. And then you think, oh, man, I just don't love these people. Well, you can actually continue to love them and work through that. Just think for a moment. Think of your children. You often don't have a burning affection in your heart toward them. 
Well, on occasion you do, and sometimes you do, but probably, I'm, I'm guessing, not all the time. Especially those times when you want to strangle them. <laughs> you know, it, yet nobody can deny, you're not going to deny the fact that you love your children, right? You, you serve them, you, you, you sacrifice for them, you give up all kinds of things so that they can have, you want to bless them, you want their best, you want them to grow up, and you want them to be godly children who love God, who love other people, and you want the best for them, you want them to do well, you're all about them. Yet, they annoy you, they frustrate you. They're silly, they're dumb, they're stupid, they're, they're all kinds of things. And, and they affect you in different ways, and if it just mattered, you know, we're called to love our children, and if it meant that we have to have always this affection in our heart toward them, it means that we don't always love them. Yet we know oftentimes, even in our frustration, the whole reason we're frustrated is because we want so much more for them than they're actually living out, right? That's frustrating. As I want so much more for you, yet you're down in the toilet and I can't stand it. So it causes frustration. But that's what love is. Love, love is committed Love says, I'm in this for you. I'm in this with you. And I want the best for you. That's what love is. In the same way with one another. We are supposed to have that same kind of mentality, that same kind of commitment. So when you love one another, Paul says, love one another earnestly. You look around and say, people, look around. Look around. Say, people, you people, I'm committed. I'm in this with you. I'm in this for you. I'm here. I want your best. That's what I want. That's love. And that's the goal. That's what that, the goal is for you to love, for them to know love, for us to love one another earnestly. And sometimes, you know what? If you ever look at somebody who's committed, they're all in, aren't they? They're all in. And, it, you know, thick or thin, they're all in. You see people who, you watch them, and it's not necessarily that they're, you know, oozing with affections all the time. Sometimes they're tired and grumpy, but they're all in. That's what love is. Love's all in. And, you know, one thing I'd like to do to encourage you to grow, it's just an aspect of love, to grow in this love, to grow in affection for one another. It's just a one simple thing that I think makes a huge difference that I think we often fail at, and it's this. If love is to be your goal, if you're to love one another earnestly, if you have to be fully committed and all in, but one of the ways you do, you're fully committed, one of the ways that you're all in is this way. Be present. You say, Dean, what do you mean? I mean, be all in even in your conversations with one another. If I see one thing failing, and so often in, in relationships with each other, it's being distracted. Isn't it easy to be distracted? Especially with a million things going on in life. It's so easy to be distracted by work. It's easy to be distracted by the television. It's easy to be distracted by your, uh, your iPhone or smartphone if you don't have an iPhone. It's easy to be distracted by your tablet or computer. It's easy to be distracted by whatever. And yet, there's a human being often standing in front of you. And in your life and in the course of life, you have interactions constantly. This morning, you had several. You'll have all kinds of interactions here with people. 
And at home, you'll have all kinds of interactions with people. And at work, you'll have all kinds of interactions with people. You have interactions. And what we tend to do is we live off somewhere on another planet. And we might even sometimes get our eyes on the person, but our brains are far from them. And, and they're talking, and you say to yourself, oh, no, I don't even know what they're talking about. Um, how can I fake this? Uh, interesting. Isn't that what we do? We're distracted. And nowadays, I'm watching it more and more. We're more distracted. Just go to a restaurant and sit down and look around, and you'll see husband and wife, and they've got their phones out. They're not interacting. Or when somebody does say something, it's kind of like, yeah? That's how it works. You know, if we're going to love one another, one of the ways we have to do it is be fully present, fully engaged. But we're all often so, sometimes, if we're uncomfortable, we're so, the reason why we're uncomfortable interacting with people is sometimes we're focused not just on the distracting things around, this distracting thing in here. We're focused on ourselves, aren't we? And you know when you get all focused about yourself, what are you worried about what they think of you, what, how you look and what you said, and it's all about you. So you're talking to them, you're, you're acting like I'm fully engaged, but the whole time I'm engaging with them, I'm in really, truly engaged with myself. It's become highly self-conscious of everything you say, everything you do, and how you look. And so you're talking, but your mind is on yourself. It's not being fully present. It's not being all in. It's not looking at a person saying, I love you, and I want to give you my time and my focus. What a precious gift to give someone your time and your focus. It's so hard to do. But I want to say this. If love is our goal, and we're to love one another in this goal earnestly, we have to be committed to being all in. And one of the ways we're committed to being all in is by being present. I want you to try this and, and, this, and, and observe how often you're distracted, how often you're focused on yourself, and how often you're focused on other things, and you're seriously not focused on the person right in front of you. And I challenge all of you to do this. Focus and be all in and be present. And you know what you're doing right then? You're loving them. What a huge gift. What a huge gift. That's the goal. That's where we get to, is we love one another and we love one another earnestly. But once you start doing that, this is what you're going to notice. You're going to notice this. Love is your power. It's your power. And the text, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. And by saying this about love, Peter is saying that it takes care of the very thing that brings so much damage into our lives and into the community. It's, it, it doesn't seem a little odd or interesting. Above all, Love one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Boom, out of nowhere. Going along talking about love, and, and it says, because this is what it do. It does. It covers a multitude of sins. And here's why. I believe he's saying this because, really, what you think of it, what does sin do? Sin separates. Sin destroys. Sin is what takes a community and rips it apart. Sin is what takes two people who have a good, close relationship and makes them go miles apart. Sin will come into any relationship, any community, and anything, and it's the very thing that will destroy it. 
It's a nasty, nasty cancer. Yet forgiveness is what takes the offense away. It's what unites, it's what heals, and it's what brings a community together. Forgiveness. Love covers a multitude of sins. Because you know what? One thing's certain. A community like this, or a community like any church, or any community, you get a bunch of people together, and this is one thing's for certain. There is something that comes in multitudes. And that is sin. There's something that you will have in bunches. And that's sin. Because there's something you have in bunches in your own life that you have to deal with, and that's sin. And then you have a you have a bunch, you have a bunch, you have a bunch, and you have a bunch, and you have a bunch, and we all have to deal with a bunch of sin, and a bunch of sin comes together, and you've got a, a multitude of sins. And when we dwell with one another, we live with one another, we get close to one another, you know what love does? Love covers a multitude of sins. And that is power. When you can forgive, when you can cover, when you can let the, like the water on a duck's back, the sin go right off, and you can still embrace and you can still step forward, you're loving. You're covering it over. You're realizing, you're understanding who the people are, what, what this is all about. And this has tremendous power in a community that embraces the sinfulness of man and the grace of God. And it knows how to step in and bring healing and, bring, and cover over sins and forgive one another and realize that, you know what? I'm going to sin. You're going to sin. Everyone's going to sin. We're going to sin against one another. And in fact, I don't expect perfect little saints who are righteous doing everything just right. I expect sin. If you expect sin, then you also need to know the remedy for it. And you do know it. What is it? Forgiveness. Love covers a multitude of sins. And you cover it. You deal with it. You get reconciled with it. You make sure that there's nothing standing in between people. And you know what that is? That, my friends, is powerful. Love is your power to take a community that would otherwise be shredded to pieces and bring it together in joy and love. You know, we don't, church isn't a bunch of people who just can celebrate and have joy and love and the world is supposed to look at us and they, and they see, man, those people are just so happy. There's just lots of joy going on. How is that even possible? I get together in a committee meeting within 10 minutes. I can't stand anybody in that room because they don't know the love that we know. They don't know the love of God in Christ Jesus. They don't know how he's loved us. And so we're called to love one another. And people, when you sit around and you, you know what it's like to cover over sins and be gracious and be kind and be forgiving and just do it a multitude of times, keeping no record of wrongs. We're not chalking this up. It's like, you got 10 strikes, dude, and then you're really out. I'm going to punch you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it works. We, we know that... We've been given abundant grace and continually are offered grace. So what we do is we, we offer that same grace to one another. And that is very, very powerful. That allows us to laugh and to smile and to joke and have a good time. Why? That sin's done with, man. That's covered over. We've taken care of it. We don't let the stuff linger. We don't let it, we don't let it infest. We don't let it get in and say, I can't believe that person. I start to hate them. You know, we don't let it do that. Why don't we let it do that? let ourselves do that because Jesus has said I love you when you have messed me over eight million times I love you I forgive you you're cleansed wow 
Now, I could see people who don't know that love, who don't know it at all, not having zero ability to cover a sin, because you can't cover a sin. You're keeping score like nobody's business. You're bitter and you're grumpy. And I'll guarantee you, if that's you, you do not know the love of Jesus in your own life. Because when we're, we are overwhelmed by the grace that we've received in Christ, because of who we are and what we've done to him, Bring it on. I forgive you. Gladly. Man, I gladly forgive you. And this, and this is our power. The power to forgive, to heal, to restore, to bring grace. You know, but just as forgiving sins has power, the other thing that we notice in this text, that loving service also has power. Peter goes on to say in verses 9 through 11, he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, which we looked at before. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whatever, whoever speaks as one who speaks an oracle of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What's he saying there? He goes on to say that we're to love, above all, love one another. Love covers them all two sins. And then he goes on to talk about the other side, not just the forgiving side, but now what this love does. It serves, it gives, it blesses, it shows hospitality, it invites people in, it reaches out. It goes after. And it does it all for the good of one another and the glory of God. So the power in this love isn't just that it forgives but that it seeks to serve and to bless and to give and extend itself in service to others. Do you want to see the power of this blessing, giving, and serving, this, this understanding the power of it all? I don't know if you know the story of Abigail. I love that story in the Bible. Nabal was Abigail's husband, and he was a jerk, selfish, mean, cruel, David's out in the pastures. He's, this is when he's on his first Samuel. He's running around for, from, his, from Saul. And one of the things he's done in this particular context is he has actually been protecting Nabal's sheep, acting like a good, faithful shepherd and making sure no one harms them at all. And his men were hungry, and they're coming in for a festival and wanting some food and bread from Nabal. And basically, they're feasting and have all this stuff. Nabal's rich. He's got all kinds of goods. And he tells David and his men to get lost. Go stuff yourself. David's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Well, he tells his men, get ready, boys. We're going to go down to Nabal's house and uh, pay him a, a visit. And it's not going to be a friendly one. It's not going to go good for Nabal. Nabal has just, David's the anointed king at this point. The anointed king of Israel. And uh, Nabal just told him to stuff it. But Abigail, says, was wise, was shrewd, and was beautiful. Abigail had it going on. How she ended up with him, we're not sure. But back in those days with arrangements, we can kind of understand it. So she sets out to make things right. She loads up the mules with food, with baked goods, and, 
and uh, bread and wine and all kinds of gifts. And she gets on that and starts trucking. She's going to meet David, and she's going to meet him head, head on. And she goes out 90 miles an hour with all these goods. And she sees David. She falls down on the ground and, be, and prostrates herself before him and gives him honor and gives him accolades and, and praises him. And David asks who she is, what she's doing, and she says, I'm Abigail, wife of Nabal. And basically says, my husband was a fool. What he did was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. And I please, I ask your forgiveness, and I want to give you, I, I want you to have all this. This is all yours. All I ask is that you spare the household. And David was blown away by this. This humble servant who gave everything. She went seeking forgiveness. She went to bless. She went to give. She went to serve. She poured it all out and threw it at David's feet. And you know what that did? That transformed David's heart at that point. He's like, whoa, who is this? Wow. He, spared, he, he honored her. He spared the household. He said, I won't do anything. He turned around and had all the gifts and plenty he wanted because Abigail blessed him and served him. And it's... The Lord would have it. Nabal fell dead not too long afterwards. And then there was this hot widow. (laughs) Who was dynamite in every way. And David married her. And it's just an amazing, wonderful story of showing the power. The power of giving, of serving, of blessing, of humbly falling at somebody's feet and just wanting nothing um, but to give to them. And Abigail shows us, you know what, even somebody who's coming to slit your throat, who's going to wipe out the family, who's coming to bring you great harm, can, their hearts can be totally changed. Love has power, my friends, to transform people's hearts and lives. There's one last thing I want to say about love that can't be drawn out of this text in First Peter. Instead, it's revealed in the Gospels. Nevertheless, it's very important to understand. And it's this. Love is also your life. Now you might ask, what do you mean by that, Dean? Love is your life. Yeah, it's not just the goal. It's not just your power. Love is your life. This morning, which was, what was read for us was John 15. And there, Jesus says something very profound. In John 15, verses 9 through 13, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Notice, notice that Jesus said that if we abide in his love and keep his commandments, that something was going to happen. He says that his joy would be in us, and our joy would be full. Did you get that? If we keep his commandments, which is what? To love one another. He's saying, if you do this, if you love one another, 
my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. People, friends, listen to me. Listen to me. Do you want to know, do you want to know how to have the joy in here, the joy of your life full? Do you want life to be flowing out of your own life? Any takers? I hope we all say, yes, I do. Well, because you said, yes, I do, I'll tell you something. There is a way for you and your joy to be full. And it's through, it's in the midst of love, actively loving one another. This is why the people who experience love the most are the most giving with their love. It's also why those who experience the least amount of love in their own lives, enjoying their own lives, are the least willing to give it. It's when, because here's the dynamic. There's a dynamic going on here, and this is, I, this is actually very difficult. For, for The world doesn't understand this all, and they can't. Because it's a dynamic that's a part of the kingdom of God. And as you know about the kingdom of God, what's, some, what's, a, what's something you'll know about the kingdom of God? Everything seems so upside down, contrary to log- logic. Because, as Jesus said, it's when you give that you receive. What? Yeah, it's when you give you receive. As Albert Hubbard said, the love we give away is the only love we keep. We often think that the benefit we will receive from love is that people around us will respond in kind. We think, hey, if I love you, can we work a deal out that you love me back? Because then, you know, if I can think, okay, that's how it works. So, well, I love everybody else, and then the reason I receive love is because either the, my joy is full is because they love me back. But that's not how it often works. You can love people, and sometimes they spit in your face back. And now I'm upset. I'm never going to do that again. I didn't get that love back that I gave to them. Where's the, where is it? Where, what was Jesus talking about? You know, our flesh thinks that it's in the getting that we receive, right? That doesn't that make more sense. You receive by getting. Perfect logic. Those who get have received. That makes perfect sense. This is why also why we can call somebody lost. Because it, they think or sorry, they don't know where true love and life are found. They're groping around for it. They grope around for life, seeking to be filled and satisfied. And when they find things that satisfy their flesh, even in the slightest, they camp out there. And they drink from that wretched fountain for as long as they can. That's why you have addicts. They find there's some joy in it. There's some pleasure in it. And in that moment, they just they suck up all they can because at least there, there's a little bit of pleasure. Over here, it sucks. It stinks. It's ugly. It's nasty. Over here, it's good. A little bit, at least. There's at least some pleasure there. And so he who receives is he who gets. That's the logic of the world. So the world can never understand the fullness of the life of Jesus and what he speaks about in John 15. Because it doesn't make sense to our flesh at all. The thought of pouring yourself out, think of this, 
The thought of pouring yourself out to be filled, hmm, that makes about as much sense as punching yourself in the face to make the swelling go down. Right? Pour yourself out and you'll be filled. Okay, punch yourself in the face and the swelling will go down. It's the same idea. We're saying that if you empty your gas tank, it will be filled. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> That's never happened. It doesn't work like that, right? But here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, everything's upside down. It's all upside down. And it is really confusing. Because if you want life, you have to give it away. What? Yeah, that's right. If you want to go up, you have to go down. What? Yeah, that's right. If you want to be filled up, you have to give yourself away. You have to be emptied. What? Yeah, that's right. You heard right. That's the kingdom of God. It, it messes with your head. But that's the kingdom we live in. Jesus says, do you want joy? Do you want to be fulfilled? Yeah, pick me. He says, then give yourself away and love to others. Okay? Empty yourself out, okay? And you will be filled in the process. Doesn't make sense, but let's do it. Only a person of faith could do that. Because it doesn't make sense, but God said it. Let's do it. I believe my Lord. I don't believe, I can't trust my brain. I've known that. That's, that, didn't take, you know, that, t- that took a long time to figure out that I can't be trusted, that my reasoning can't be trusted. But if he said it, I'm going to do it, and sure enough, what happens? You experience it. But there's, here's another kicker. If you put yourself into something only half-heartedly, you don't get filled up. That, here's the other thing. We... We think that, oh, I'll just do it a little bit. I'll test it out. I will see, kind of just half-heartedly see. And we, ah, I proved him wrong. I kind of gave myself. No, there was no kickback in that whatsoever. I don't believe that for a moment. Well, the question I have is, well, did you give, it, give yourself wholeheartedly? Or did you give yourself half-heartedly? Because that is the difference. You know, you... We often hold back. And when we hold back, we hold back for reasons. Because we th- one of the main reasons is this, that we think the more we put in, the more I invest, guess what I'll have? The less I'll have left over. Right? That's very much logical sense, isn't it? So I hold back. I can tell you I did this all the time playing hockey. I'd always hold back because I thought there's, I'd check how much time is left. And I'm calculating. I've got to get to the third period. And if I put it all out now, I'm going to have none for later. Does that not make sense? That makes perfect sense. And that's the world we often live in. And so we approach the kingdom of God the same way. I think, well, if I put myself all out there and I'm wholehearted, I'm going to be spent. I'm going to have nothing left. Ah, not true. Jesus said, the more you give... He didn't say the more. If you give, you receive. And the truth is, is the more you give, the more you do receive. 
half-hearted creatures don't receive what full-hearted creatures do. And this is why a whole-hearted person, somebody who puts everything in their heart into it, if you watch those people, why is it they're the most filled up? And why is it that half-hearted people who only put a half a heart into things are the most bummed out, the most, as you'd say, empty? Well, I think often we confuse these two groups or we confuse what's really going on. If you see somebody who's wholehearted and they give everything out in love to others, we often think that it's their personality. That's just the way they are. They, they, they're all in. They give everything they have. And then someone who's only half-hearted, we say, oh, that's just their personality. They're just, that's the way they do things. Well, you know what? I'm here to say something. Half-heartedness and wholeheartedness has nothing to do with personality. Nothing. Now, you could, we say, extrovert and introvert. Someone who's extroverted, they're all out there. Someone who's introverted, they're all in here. That's all we, we think, right? And... So we apply it the same way. But here's the thing. You can be introverted. You could be quiet. You could be the person who doesn't like to shout. But you, there's no excuse for not being passionate and all in. I've known plenty of quiet people. Quiet people who are just, they're like a church mouse. They don't say much. And they're intense. They know how to be passionate. They know how to be all in. It has nothing to do with personality, what I'm referring to here. It has everything to do with your whole heart being involved in it. But you know what? Our, our flesh still has troubles with this. Because we think that we have given ourselves out before. And I don't know, Dean, I've given myself before. I hear what you're saying. And man, I felt pretty empty. But here's something I, I'm, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you won't be tired. And I'm not saying you won't be ready for bed at the end of the night. But I'm saying, you're going to sleep well, and you're going to go to bed with a big smile on your face. Because it's always worth it. It's always fulfilling. It's always, it doesn't necessarily, it, it empties your body, it empties your flesh, but it fills your soul. And what Jesus is saying, you give yourself wholeheartedly in something, pour yourself out completely, and you will be so filled in your soul that the joy, his joy will make you full. His joy will fill your heart. Just try it. Just try to love someone with all your heart and see if it doesn't fill your life to overflowing. And I know when you hear this, it can sound a little bit like magic, like, you know, empty yourself so that you might be filled. It's backwards. That's because it is magic. It's the kingdom of God magic. It's the way God's kingdom works. He messes with your head, and you cannot logically figure it out. You have to walk by faith, believing it, trusting it. it the kingdom of God is where everything is upside down. But it's what makes your life feel right side up. But again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you won't be tired when you, you put your heart out. You will be tired, but you will be filled. And those are different things. You know, I just want to close by saying, um, by challenging you to do something. I want to challenge you to do something, and I want you to try this out. 
If you're married, listen up for a moment. I challenge, and if you, you husbands in particular right now, listen to me. I challenge you husbands to treat your wife to a night of her dreams and put your whole, and I don't mean half, I mean your whole heart into it. Everything in your being. Plan an evening she will never forget from beginning to end. And from beginning to end, it needs to be about her. Focus on her from start to finish. All about her. Men, I'm serious. I challenge you to do this. Not half-hearted, not whimsically, full on. Love her and treat her like a queen. I challenge you to do this. Pick it in the next two weeks. Pick and pick some evening, maybe a, or some day, Saturday, Friday, whatever it is, and put go all out, full hearted. And then I, I want I I dare you to do that. And I want you to come talk to me and tell me if you think it was worth it. I hope I could ask you. Hey, did you do it? And you say, Yeah. Was it worth it? Did it fill you up more than it, you put out? And I'll lay money down that you'll say, oh, yeah, absolutely. It was way better for me than I ever thought. It filled me up as I poured myself out, and it was beautiful. Well, welcome to the kingdom, fellas. That's what it's like. That's what it's about. And I also challenge everybody else here for, to one other thing. To serve a family or an individual in the church in whatever way you can think of, come up with some way to somehow you can serve them. You can talk about it even as a family, how you can maybe serve another family in some way. And I want you to pull your heart into it. Everything in your being, your whole heart into it. Go all out. All out. Be all in. And give it everything you've got. And likewise, I want to hear about it. And tell me that it wasn't better for you than it was for them. Because so often we go in with doubts, we go in half-hearted, we go in partially, we do things, and we, we go in with bad attitudes, we go in with thinking, making, you know, having a little balance sheet about what we did and what others didn't do. And, and, and we're just constantly not, not even focused on truly pouring ourselves out in love, but all kinds of other issues. And I'm challenging you to do these things and do them with your whole heart. Be wholehearted all in. And Why? Is this what you're called to? Love is your goal. Love is your power. Love is your life. Love, like that's really true. That's what I'm calling you to. And may God give us all grace to do it. Amen. Father, we're so very thankful that you have loved us. Oh, Lord, you've loved us in ways that are beyond our even comprehension and understanding. I pray that you would fill us with your love, that we would know your love, and that from that we would go and we would love, and we would love one another as we've been loved. Lord Jesus, you said to we're to love one another as you have loved us, and you loved us by giving yourself for us, laying down your life fully and completely. You were all in. And, I'll, oh, Lord God, I ask and I beg you for this congregation that you would allow us all to know that love and to love one another in the same way, that we would be all in. For I ask it in Christ. Amen.